You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined on Blogging Heads TV. Uh, I'm your host, R.A. Cohen-Wade, and my guest today, uh, welcome back, Phoebe maltz Uh So Phoebe, could Hello. you please introduce yourself? Sure. Um, so I am now the one of the um, senior editors at um, The Signal, which is a new digital uh general interest current affairs publication. Um, and I'm very excited about this. And you may know me from previous hits such as um, Feminine Chaos, which lives on um, on uh, Patreon um, after it's very um, sad to leave blogging heads, but we are we do live on as a, an audio only. Um, and I'm the author of the ancient tome from 2017, the Perils of Privilege, which I'm sure somebody on their stoop where you're walking by might be throwing out and then you can take a look. I still I still have my take copy. Take a gander. Oh, that's, um, that's sweet. And, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think you've been, you've been tweeting this kind of joking, but like you were ahead of your time. And if the it, book had come out a couple of years later. I know. It, it's upsetting. It is it is a not good thing to be ahead of your time. Um, in yeah, the it's like the, the way you saw no. the, like the it's like a surfing metaphor you saw the wave coming and then like you <laughs> just like dove in a little too early <laughs> and maybe like a year or two yeah. later you it would have uh been different but yeah i i, I enjoyed the book we did a conversation i guess about four years we ago um, we did and you know what i'm sorry but this is very in keeping with our theme but like i keep seeing tweet threads where somebody's like have you ever thought about the the word privilege and how people use it i was like ah like, go away <laughs> they didn't make it stop anyway sorry. yeah and I, that's that reinforces sort of the um you know, the like a historical sense of online where it's like something that, you know, the, the book came out during the Trump administration, <laughs> you know, this wasn't like uh, 50 years ago. And, and yet, you know, for some people, that's, that's ancient history. So, okay. So can you say a little bit more about the signal and what it is? Sure. And um, so it covers um, it's, it's not just the U S um, it has sort of a more global perspective and there's politics there's economics and there's culture um, are sort of like um, the main general headings of things I tend to write in the culture area. And what we do are a lot of Q&As um, with interesting people about their ideas um, and things they've written. So um, like the most recent thing I did um, that just appeared was I did a Q&A with the food writer, Alicia Kennedy, um, about sort of like the can sustainable eating avoid being just sort of like a snob fest and we also discussed why people get very mad online so this is in <laughs> keeping with our theme about peanut butter because she had a great newsletter about people being mad at her for um using slash promoting natural peanut butter and i had not known that peanut butter could be so contentious huh. um and because of the uh, allergy stuff or like no the, the no way I would have thought, no, no, it's to do with, I guess, there's natural peanut butter, which is like it doesn't have other stuff in it. And then there's a kind that has palm oil and sugar added. Um, and I guess people who like with the palm oil and sugar added get very annoyed at the people who don't. And somehow, even though these two food products are both cheap and at the supermarket and not a big deal, and if you're not allergic to peanuts, you can just go to town. Um, the, I guess it's like considered snooty to you to get the natural one. And I was 
uh, telling her, yeah, when we were, I was talking to her that like, that of all the things I buy, like I buy, I don't buy a lot of snooty stuff, but snooty food products, sure. And like, I think that like, I mean, I'm telling you not like, I'm thinking like the cheese I buy is like much more embarrassing than anything I could get in a peanut butter aisle. But yeah, so that's what we do. We, we do Q and A's, not all about peanut butter, <laughs> um, but that was kind of fun. Okay, I'll have to check that out. And I'm, I'm a Skippy man myself, but um, I'll have to, maybe I'll reevaluate things. Uh, after the ingredients list. And right. And there's something, is there something about the, the, the manufacturer or extraction of palm oil that it's possibly the, the people who, yes. who farm yeah. it are treated badly? It and... is not good for labor, apparently, according to people who have looked into it a bit more than I have. Right. Okay, um, so everything is fraught. Everything is fraught. Which ties into our topic, which is... Yes. Oh, but first I just want to say, I'm throwing that segue out. Uh, you know, congrats on the on the new job. And also it's good after a year in which there was a lot of, like, websites going out of business and stuff. Uh, seeing you know, a new website starting up is a, yeah. a positive sign. And so... Um, I have to pinch myself for all of this because it, it doesn't... Yeah, I am aware of the landscape in which this is. And yeah, um... I, yeah, I, I'm very happy with what I'm doing and to be doing it for sure. Um, and the site is very interesting and I urge everyone to, you can sign up, you, you give them your email when you sign up into the website, you, and then you can read the articles basically is the idea. And there's also paid subscription option, but you'll, you'll see on the website and I guess your right. link, right? Yes. So, and that, and so that the URL is the sgnl.com mm-hmm. for the signal and yeah there'll be there'll be links below mm-hmm. okay so we're gonna start off okay so our general topic is twitter and um there's uh, always a lot to talk about there and things have changed there over the past couple of months um in various ways and uh you and i both are on there a lot and so i thought you'd be a good never, person i i i have an account but i have never used oh, you, it yeah you maybe you glance at it once in a while um I, I, yeah but you were so you wrote a piece so we're gonna be talking about twitter in general but let's start off with this piece you wrote for the signal which will be linked below called um quote cleanse your timeline and uh the first line, I think that I, I quoted out the first line here, uh, is somewhere along the way a consensus emerged online that posting unserious content to one's social media feeds demanded disclaimers. Um, so, so, okay, so what uh, what is the timeline cleanse and why did you sure. want to write about it? Sure. Um, well, I just kept noticing, this was, I guess, around the election, but also just during the pandemic in general and also just during every single day, which is, you know, like people will post things like, I'm tired or like, like we're all miserable right now. You know what I mean? Like there's just this kind of consensus that that today is particularly the worst day of all time and that we are all upset about the same thing to the point that it's almost like gratuitous to say why, because like clearly, clearly everybody knows that we are all upset about X and nobody could possibly have been offline for 10 minutes and missed that. But what I started noticing though recently um, was that whenever I would see like a cute animal photo, um, Speaking of animals, there's one growling at the snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that people would post cute animal photos or sometimes it would be like babies or just sort of other innocuous content. Um, and they would say, to cleanse your timeline, here's a, you know, a photo of some ponies. Here's a photo of a kitten. And it would be like, it, it's something about it was like, I am just, 
it, this is just some flaw in my personality, but I was like, oh, what is this? Like, why does this have to be about cleanse your timeline? Like, why does there have to be this kind of hedging? Why can't you just put the picture? Like, if I put a picture of my dog on Twitter, I put a picture of my dog. And I recognize that that's not serious content and that somebody might see above and below my dog some kind of atrocities, but <laughs> maybe they don't. I don't know. Maybe they see another dog. Maybe they see a different animal. Um, but it just seemed like this thing about cleanse your timeline seemed to be like, it, it annoyed me as this sort of like feelings projection, like telling you that that you're mad or upset or like that you're feeling high blood pressure and that you need this kind of calming. And it just like something about the presumptuousness of it kind of like riled me a little, but also it seemed just like in a sort of non riled way, it just seemed like an interesting thing that this is like, um, that people would feel that they, they know this about the people who are following their tweets and, you don't know, like, that's the whole thing with social media, like, by definition, you don't know what other people see when they log on. So you don't know that they're all so it's like, it's projection, maybe, like, it's like, if you think, all you've been looking at is horrible stuff. Um, or so I, I don't really have an answer to what it is, like, is it that people um, are only seeing bad stuff, like upsetting news stories in their own timelines, and thus they assume everybody is, is it that they think one ought to be only reading upsetting things and that it needs you need to almost like apologize if you talk about something else (laughs) um I don't really have an answer this wasn't a piece where I like investigate I didn't like track down why people post this um I just kind of you know speculated a little with some guesses yeah and you I think you you locate um I guess from the know your meme website maybe the first Mm -hmm. instance of this which was 2013 so not that long ago, and Twitter was a going concern, you know, for a number of years mm-hmm. um, for that. So, okay, so so maybe the uh, the opposite, or maybe the, 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 the way cleanse your timeline fits in is part of doom scrolling. Yes. Which I think is was coined uh, last year, or at least popularized last year. Um, mm-hmm. And that became sort of like, I don't know, it's a good term. Uh, it, you know, it's an evocative term, and it's just like, you know, constantly running your thumb up and down to see what mm-hmm. bad thing has just happened. Mm-hmm. And a lot of bad things did happen in 2020. Um, That's fair. <laughs> so it made And we were also all stuck at home most of the time because we of the still pandemic. are here in Toronto. Yes. It's still locked down. Yes. So yes. in most places, probably mm-hmm. people are spending more time, uh, you know, a- alone or just with their household members and more time to stare at your phone, basically. So, <laughs> so yeah, so collect your timeline. Um, is like the momentary, um, you know, or respite from everything bad that was happening. And a lot of bad things like, you know, one of 2020, one of the worst years in, um, you know, since in American history, since 1945, I would, I would say. Um, oh, yeah. And, and bad in a way that really like very, very few, if anybody has been totally spared. I mean, like there yeah. are people who have it less bad and that's about the most you can say. Yeah. I'd say about 2020. Um. So, yeah, so I think it's, where do I want to go with this? I, so it's interesting, sort of like Twitter as like, a, as like performance and something like what, what are we all, the people who are on Twitter, what are we all doing on there? And every, and so, you know, everything, you, you like a cynical perspective, you like everything is a way to 
everything you tweet is a way to like make yourself feel better or elevate your social standing or gain more clout or get likes and retweets. And so the person who's posting the uh, pictures of the miniature horses who are wearing uh, outfits, um, you know, they don't, you know, they don't really care about people's timelines getting cleanses. They just want the likes and the retweets mm. and, and new followers. Mm-hmm. And, so that's maybe that's the most sort of cynical, I mean, and maybe this isn't even like a conscious strategy or something. Yeah, it's just like that's what like Twitter is has this sort of gamified aspect to it, where if you go viral, suddenly like you're getting these tiny little like positive reinforcements, and also depending on what you said, maybe negative reinforcements. But just like mm-hmm. things are happening, and especially if you're stuck inside all the time, and there's a monotony, it seems like you're something is is happening when you know <laughs> when this happens, even though very little is actually happening. Oh, for sure. Um, So I I definitely want to pick up on what you said about this not necessarily being conscious, because that was something that I was having trouble sort of conveying when writing about this, because I wasn't I'm not like mad at people who post this. You know what I mean? It's not like I would go through and be like, oh, you did that. Like, I never would have thought this person would, you know, it was not like that at all. I think it's that it's become a habit. It's become a kind of trope. It's a thing. It's, It's like any other meme or something it goes with the picture now. It's just like, it fits. Like you're going to post a cute picture. You put cleanse your timeline. Like here's a cute picture, cleanse your timeline. They're just the same basically. So I don't think that on an individual basis, people are thinking like, I better make it seem like I've been reading all about, you know, the, whatever, like the latest new, you know, the South African and UK variants and their, exact stats you know at this point and then that I just I I want to make sure my followers know I took this only this little minute no I don't think people are thinking about it on that level Uh but I think there's something about the fact that this caught on and that people don't sort of challenge it or find it mysterious you know what I mean like if you see cleanse your timeline it's clear that that's a reference to the doom scrolling situation and to things being terrible and it does fit I think with a broader thing on Twitter of like, when people share good news, they start with this, everything is terrible, but, um, and, you know, or if they just share something silly, it's like, there's everything is terrible, but it's not that things have not been certainly in 2020, but even before some of this preceded this, um, it's just like, it's just some sort of habit of Twitter Um, And also what you were saying about people being stuck at home, I think is very true. And I think, you know, that there's like, there are these sort of competing urges to say like Twitter is not real life, you know, there's more going on, but it's like for a lot of people, this is it. And I mean, that's, I think whether you're living alone or living with people you've been locked inside with for a year, you know, it's like, you're not, if you're not going anywhere, like Twitter is kind of it. And I think that's already, it was already the case a bit, but like, they're really like everything that was kind of counterbalancing that disappeared. Right. Um, yeah. And I've certainly, or the people who use it. And then if you're not on it, obviously something else. Yeah. And, and yeah, and probably, well, I don't know, probably most people there were looking at their social media on their phone more in 2020 than they were in 2019 because of, uh, the lockdown. Um, so, I mean, one aspect of this that's interesting is like, um, Twitter specifically versus the other social media apps. And so like, I don't, do people do this on Instagram? I don't mm. think so they I do. I looked into this a little bit um, as in like I did searches um, <laughs> and it does exist. 
But Instagram, so I use it for like dog pictures and I'm very active in like poodle Instagram, you know? You're almost nobody. A po- you or your dog are a poodle Instagram influencer almost, I would say. Well, except that it's a locked account, which kind of gets in the way of influencing. <laughs> okay. It doesn't have very many followers. It's like a bunch of people with gray poodles in like Japan, China, <laughs> Scandinavia, and Russia. Occasionally they'll be in the States. Um, and there's like one or two in Canada. Um, okay. So global, but, so global influence, uh, your, oh, your dog at least huge, has huge, global influence. Huge influence. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to say with that is that like, nobody is saying as a disclaimer, there's no, there's no assumption that anybody isn't in with these accounts posting photos of their gray poodle, sometimes an apricot poodle, you know what I mean? Like, there's just no pretense that there's something else going on. So occasionally you'll see things that are just like, where it's just like, like my Twitter brain pops up when I'm on Instagram and I'll see something where somebody's put like a very earnest, like black lives matter slogan and with like a black poodle or so, you know what I mean? Where it's like, it just seems like they're trying for something earnest, but it's like, it doesn't quite work because it's poodle Instagram and they're not quite leaving that sphere. But in general, the point is that like, um, it wasn't that, but it was something along those lines uh-huh. that I wish I would have remembered exactly. If someone, because... if that, if someone posted that on Twitter and maybe someone did like a, like black poodle, black eyes matter, like they would go viral and it would not be for good reasons. It would That's be like, true. Torn That's apart. True. well, I think, I think on Instagram, there's just a little bit, well, there's just, there's maybe, I'm sure there's different types of Twitter too. So maybe there's a Twitter where people are just putting animal photos and not apologizing. But <laughs> I think Twitter lends itself to this sort of like we are all miserable consensus. And I don't think it's necessarily an incorrect assumption all of the time, but there's just something about it that reinforces, like the assumption reinforces the misery. Yeah. Um, and like, it just sucks you in. Like, I'm sorry, I do not, I do not work at the New York times. I do not need to know what's going on internally there. And it's like bombarding. <laughs> like, like I tweeted last night to quote me super super dorky with this but like that i like should i watch like bad british television or should i read like two hundred thousand tweets about what's going on at these media companies because i was like listening to the bon appetit reply all podcast while like reading all these tweets about like the new york times it's like i don't need to know this but it sucks you in yeah and so yeah why why do we know or care at all about you know various people being hired or fired at the new york times i mean in one way it is important because it's like the paper record etc but um also it's because the people you like if you are into following the news or media figures those people care you know Mm -hmm. if you work at the washington post then maybe you care about what happens at the new york times internally because you want to get hired there someday or something so they're talking Mm -hmm. about it and then it you know, there are mm-hmm. weirdo type people who would never work in national media, but they also care about it because in the same way that like a, a fan of a sports team would care about like who the right. assistant general manager of the sports team is. There's kind yeah. of like, a, yes, there's, there's that. But yeah, it's and then it, of course, tribalizes because Twitter is so tribal. I mean, I just want to like I, I years ago on Twitter, I joked like, do um, do people who, who like use Pinterest a lot, do they ever call Pinterest the hell site? Or say, like, release me from this hell site? Like, probably not. They seem to, like, enjoy using it, and they like posting photos of, you yeah. know, knitwear or, or whatever And what's interesting about that is lifestyle, lifestyle 
sites do get controversy and have all sorts of like culture wars um, things going on. So it's not that because Pinterest is kind of like maybe more female, more sort of craft type focus. It doesn't, I don't think that's it. I think there's something about Twitter specifically. So, yeah. 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 Sorry to interrupt. It's, it's something about the form yeah. of yeah. it and also the type of people who are, who are drawn to it and the, and mm-hmm. the strange mixture of, you know, powerful people like mm-hmm. former President Donald Trump, who maybe we'll talk about yeah. in a few minutes, <laughs> and also just lots of random people and people who are concealing their identity and all sorts of weirdos mm-hmm. uh, in between. Um, people yeah. who may or may not be from Queens. <laughs> you mean? <laughs> well, uh, let's not talk about that. Um, but um, but also like so with so on my on my Instagram, um, the people I follow my account, I almost entirely follow close close friends or cute animal accounts. And so that's it. So almost everything I see on Instagram is positive. And mm-hmm. if, if like a close friend started posting a lot of like political memes or something, I would probably mute them because mm-hmm. I just don't want to see that on Instagram. I want to see, I go right. to it when I want to see, you know, uh, various like Eng- English setter accounts that mm-hmm. I followed over the past couple of years since my own English setter had to be put to sleep. So like that's what I, so I use that just to look but at that's cute upsetting animals. in a different way, potentially, no? Well, for, I, I've, I've gone long enough that I just like enjoy looking at English setters and also, you know, like mm-hmm. birds, the, the national parks and mm-hmm. Fish and wildlife for, service have mm-hmm. really great accounts where it's just, you know, beautiful, beautiful nature photos mm-hmm. and, you know, the Audubon society. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my, my feed there. And then on Twitter, it's my, I probably see kind of the same sort of things that you see where it's people who are angry all the time, people who are fighting each other. The fighting each other. Oh my goodness. And then I just feel like there's always this sort of, Normally, it's like an implied whose team are you on, whose side are you on, who's your friend, who, you right. know, but like occasionally, and I did ultimately, I believe, unfollow in one case over this, like somebody will be like specifically inviting you to get in the, you know, in the mix and like say like what you think about this person's interaction with that person. And it's like, I think that that you can only ever just sit these things out unless you like there's some very specific reason it has to do with you. But, um, but I feel like there's this, like, you can feel like you have to like with this JK Rowling stuff, mm-hmm. I have not read Harry Potter, but I have, I always felt like I was supposed to have like incredibly. And I still, I still feel like this, like, like why do I not have a take on her specifically? And it's like, cause I don't know about it. And I just, I'm sitting this one out. Like, <laughs> it's not that I don't think there are like, important issues i just i think you should be allowed to sit something out and there isn't a sense on twitter that you are yeah and, and so cleanse your timeline is, is a way is a way to sort of indicate like i'm taking a brief three second break from the discourse mm-hmm. and here's a photo of a cat um mm-hmm. and yeah the, the i mean it, something that's there's almost everything involving um twitter is stupid in some way but one of the stupidest is this idea that like you have to comment on everything and like, you know, silence is violence or something. Like if you're, if you're not mm-hmm. weighing in on this particular issue, then you've somehow like oh my trespassed goodness. across a oh moral line, which is just so yeah. stupid because, you know, pre-social media, there was no way for any average person aside from writing a letter to the editor of their local newspaper to like comment on a national issue in a way that was like beyond their immediate social circle. So this is all new. And, um, and then there's, you know, so it's like, should normal people feel like they have to do this? People who are not connected to the media in any way, but just have 
or on social media, yeah. like that is well, totally stupid. For it, but this I have seen where people really, um, I'm thinking of a couple instances where recently where people have like said, it's very telling that people are not who are like in media or who are at this or whatever are not commenting on such and such story. And it'll be like, on my timeline, they are, you know, like, have you really like, like, it just might be saying, you know, more about who you're following or whatever. And I think this, or like the whole nobody's talking about where maybe there's a news story, maybe that was, you know, shared as, as famously the case where people say nobody's talking about this, this underreported thing, and they link to the times and, you know, <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I think there is um, a lot of this, um, so I think people do read willful um, intent. However, I think most of the time, and this is something I was tweeting about earlier, which I, my, my second ever tweet, right? And my second ever tweet, <laughs> I, I tweeted something about that, like, people are not paying that much attention to what one another are doing at the level. Like, there's this, on the one hand, the sense that everybody's watching you at all times and cares. But on the other, like, there's this plea for attention that mixes with this kind of, like, don't look at what I'm doing impulse. Cause like you want people to look at what you're doing if they're going to ha be happy with it, but you don't, if they're not. So like um, somebody who I follow and who follows me on Twitter had tweeted something about like that. The, if you say something negative about the woke baby books, like, so uh, in this John McHorder um, book excerpt, he was saying something like you can't about how, like you can't criticize those. And she was saying, I've tweeted about it. Nobody canceled me. Um, and I was like, I've written an article about it, but nobody canceled me. Like, I think most people don't even care what other people are doing. And, um, <laughs> you know, you can say a lot of things. You just never know. I think it's that you never know. Like, unless you really are somebody um, on some sort of pedestal, you never know what who's going to suddenly be listening, who had some personal grievance with you from years ago that you don't even remember. Um, <laughs> uh -huh. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean... Um... One of the thing, an annoying tick of discourse of the past couple of years is saying you can't talk about like people saying like, why can't we talk about this? Or no one like you're not allowed to say this. And then they say it. And one person who does this sometimes is Glenn Lowry. Another person who's on this platform. So he's like a tenure professor. He can say whatever he wants. But like, like suddenly because of information technology, like anyone can say anything they want at any time. And like mm -hmm. you said, probably if they're an average person, it goes, it's like talking to a hole. And, mm -hmm. But maybe if they say something strange or really stupid, then it goes viral and mm -hmm. they get like dunked on and their life is, you know, <laughs> ruined forever or <laughs> at least made shitty yeah. for some yeah. period of time. Yeah. But like, you know, if, if this was 1990, like I would have no platform to spew my thoughts in any way because, you know, uh, if I wasn't employed by a, a magazine or a newspaper or something or a television station, then, you, you know, so, someone who had, like, no real credentials couldn't just pontificate. So, you know, mm -hmm. any, anyone can say anything about anything. And it's unedited. So in the past, it would be that if you have some kind of column or whatever TV spot, somebody, there's some sort of check on what you can say, you know, whereas now it's, like, unfiltered, unedited. Yeah, so the gatekeepers of, you know, the, the broadcast uh, news station or the radio station or the newspaper would prevent you from you know, maybe saying something really crazy or writing mm -hmm. a column that would like get you in such trouble that you would, uh, you know, your friends wouldn't want to talk to you anymore or something. They'd be mm -hmm. like, hey, we're, mm -hmm. we're not going to run this one. Um, whereas today the incentive would be like, let that column run because then it'll go viral. <laughs> we'll get a lot of traffic from everyone hate reading it. So the, yeah. the incentives have, are all, are all messed up. But you, at the end of this 
piece, you you note that like, um, you know, like who we uh, we tweeters, we people of the Twitter tribe, who are we working for? And you know, this idea of like you need to do the work is sort of has become this cliche. But like, who are we working for, and who actually like who benefits? You know, can we bono or whatever from from all this stuff? And uh, is it just Twitter? Is it just Twitter? Right. Or yeah, what is what is the point of of all this? And um, is yeah, what you know? It, it, what I want to say, you know, there's if you if you tweet something probably like nothing will happen like 99.99% of the time like there's almost no reaction for for anyone and then um probably and then, and then like there's a very small chance that you tweet something and then like you really fuck up and suddenly everyone mm-hmm. in the world knows you who you are like bean dad or something um mm-hmm. and although he had some pl- public platform before this right right but but yeah so and then like why why are we doing this what is what is the upside why like there's the the small bits of dopamine or whatever serotonin mm-hmm. that you get when people like your thing or retweet it or mm-hmm. respond to your joke in a positive way, but the uh, mm-hmm. risk reward ratio seems seems uh, seems way off for the for the average person. Maybe a, a medium right. provocateur type, um, you know, likes to stir stir stuff up. And I'm thinking of the of this guy John Kay, who you're probably familiar with, who had this yeah, tweet. Yeah, I, I know John Kay. He yeah. had this tweet who, where. Um, Unclear whether he was serious or joking, but well, dog he... shampoo. I think he was joking. Okay, I so he he posted a photo but it's of like, this is taken on a life of its own. Yes, he posted a photo of dog shampoo and says something like, um, "You know, I can't believe I've been using this the whole time. I didn't realize it's for dogs." And there's a photo of a golden retriever on the label. <laughs> so it seems so absurdly dumb, but it was so like sort of straight face. That... He was making fun of himself. I think. I think he probably. So here's my theory. I think he really was using the dog shampoo. He also like. I mean, I should say, like, he's a man with, like, quite short hair. He's not, um, as you can all, you know, confirm for yourselves on, I think he was on, like, Fox News. Yeah, so last night he was on, he was on yeah. Fox News, and it was, like, liberals attack dog shampoo users. <laughs> <laughs> this is the biggest Toronto story in a while. <laughs> this is, like, the biggest thing to happen in, in my city in a long time, so I'm kind of excited. Um, and I think, yeah, it's it's amazing, yeah, how long this has lasted. But... Um, okay, so like it's, it's not way, it benefits John Kay, who was like an editor at Quillette or something, to like stir up shit, and then he ends up on Fox News. But for the average person, or even people like who are vaguely attached to the media world, like what is really the benefit of tweeting out your thoughts when you're more like like the the chance of something bad happens seems to vastly outweigh the chance of, of something good happening. This is true. Um, so I think. It's a lot of different things going on. I think for people who are truly, truly nothing to do with media at all, don't aspire to have a job in media, are just like they have their well set up in whatever they're doing that's something else. So I'm thinking especially of like a lot of lawyers who seem to spend a lot of time on Twitter um, and obviously don't need to for their work. It's only it only seems like it could hurt them. I don't know why they're there's on a Twitter. Lot of, there's a lot of anonymous lawyers or anonymous on lawyers who have right? attained some level who become like media adjacent figures like Mm -hmm. uh southpaw that guy and um Mm -hmm. yeah there's a bunch of other ones who i think that guy's like self-docs or something at some point revealed who he actually was Mm -hmm. but um yeah so it it both makes you think that like there's a lot of lawyers out there with a lot of free time on their hands who can spend time (laughs) tweeting constantly and and amassing all this clout but um but yeah sorry all parents who are like go to law school this supports their like (laughs) because 
Because and if the retort was, but it seems like then you're overworked. It's terrible. It's like, but they're all on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go to law school because you might become an anonymous, uh, you know, Twitter influencer in um, twenty years. But I think I think for that, I think it's sort of the proximity to micro celebrity or like to people who seem very important in a small arena. And you know, if that's the arena you're spending time in, like it can, you know, like I remember having like I think a tweet of mine was liked by Nigella Lawson once, and I was just like. Oh, you know what I mean? I, but I think people have this on different yeah. scales and in different areas. So I think that's some of it. And But I think there's a... Well, can I, sorry, sorry, just interrupt. I just want to... Yeah. My my version of that is that one time, uh, the the guy who, who was the child actor in The Sixth Sense liked one of my tweets. <laughs> oh, um, no. So that, not quite as good as Nigella Lawson, but that was pretty good. That No, that's I think that's better. <laughs> exactly. I actually heard him on a comedy podcast within the past year or so. He's actually a very funny, smart guy. He seems to have not been damaged by being a child actor in the way that many, oh, many others are. So That's great. <laughs> that's a really, that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think then there's, so there's people who like, and I can definitely at times include myself in this category who like are media, well, not currently because now I actually like have a job in media, but when I was in grad school or at times when I was like freelancing and home with a baby, you know, times in my life when I was not, um, or when I was, um, teaching full time, um, at U of T, like Twitter would be, I would feel like I was in the game in some way. And I never knew if I was or wasn't, I never knew to what extent I was fooling myself and putting labor in where I should have been just like pitching articles or applying for, you know, jobs that might've perhaps, interested me. Um, but I also, but then it would be like, people would get in touch through Twitter and be like, do you want to, um, you know, like write something do you, like all sorts of editors and things. So like it became this kind of thing where like, was it networking and useful and, and even indispensable for whatever amount of a writing career I was having, mm -hmm. or was I just throwing ideas and time into some kind of pit? And I don't know if I have an answer. I think, like I never had any problems from it. Like I like tweeting something where people were mad in any sort of sustained way, but it just, it felt more like a time suck, you know? And, but then when I've had jobs where I'm, you know, in journalism, it's like you need it for, um, for connections and ideas and things like that. You kind of, yeah. you can't, you can't just totally, totally ignore it. Um, you can try, but yeah, it's very difficult. And certainly in like, I mean, the types of things I write about are, it would be very, like, it would be weird to willfully pretend there wasn't Twitter. But right. yeah, I do think it just takes up a lot of time. And this, I think that's why it's, um, you know, Oliver Bateman, I did like the doing the work. Um, you feel like you're working and you, you are in a way, but it can be a whole day and you can have realized the day has gone by and you've just been on Twitter. And I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's probably not good. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not good. Um, I'm I'm ready yeah. to definitively say that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, I think the something that maybe this that scholars should look at is I mentioned it earlier is like this gamified aspect of Twitter where it's like you're sort of getting little points and you need and you sort of feel like you need to be like in the mix or in the game to mm -hmm. to participate in this game where you're attracting little bits mm -hmm. of clout or whatever we want to call them. But like, and mm -hmm. I, I noticed this, uh, not, not to brag or anything, but uh, the past couple weeks I had like one or two tweets that went somewhat viral and 
I realized that like when you and this for people who have like big accounts, I, I have no idea how they do this. You must turn all the notifications off. But if you have your notifications on and then so, you're getting like over 100 retweets, then you're getting like just these little bits of data like in your phone and you're seeing just something. And I realized that when that happens, I'm not checking the timeline as much because I'm just getting these little bits of like reinforcement of like, Oh, someone thought this joke I made was funny. And so I'm paying less attention to like, what's the latest thing in the past 45 seconds that someone tweeted about. So this is like, I guess sort of an addiction dynamic I'm describing here where it's like, I just need some, some reinforcement, whether it's what's the latest news item, what's the latest joke or mm-hmm. meme what's the latest timeline cleanse picture of miniature ponies wearing sweaters mm-hmm. or but then if i'm getting like if just something is happening that it feels mm-hmm. like you know my attention has been captured and yeah. um and this there was this piece in the times a couple of weeks ago about this guy that coined the term attention economy uh, who was, mm-hmm. was a scholar who was sort of like an outsider scholar never became super famous for this idea, but like is seemed to be very prescient in the way it predicted how the internet would reshape mm-hmm. things. And yeah, it does seem like what is, so like I, when, when you write something on Twitter, you're like taking uh, like this micro slice of your followers attention, you know, and then you're like, I did that. And everyone else is doing it at, at the same time. So I don't, I don't know where, where I'm going with this, but it's, it's definitely bad. Like for my my personal psychology, and you know my like loved ones and everything else in life like and it's probably bad i mean the good things are like i think we probably like maybe we first connected on twitter like most of the people i've had on this podcast yeah like i approached them through twitter or yeah i definitely met kat through twitter um my co-host for feminine chaos i mean rosenfield yeah i think yeah yeah i think probably i reached out to her the first time i had her on through twitter so that's good and uh, you know i think this podcast is you know does something for its listeners i hope um listeners and viewers. And then like, I have made some friendships um, of people through Twitter, but yeah, I think it's mostly, you know, weighing the positive versus negative. It's mostly negative. And then if we consider yeah. it like that, and the fact that I'm looking, still looking at it every day, then it's like, get like the addiction sort of thing makes more sense of like, you know, I can quit whatever I want to or <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I know. But then like, if you go off it for a day or something because you're just busy and then you go back on it, what I find is that like I'm expecting to have a million notifications and I have like none. And then it's like if you don't play, nobody's paying attention. Even like even if you have I don't have that many followers, but enough where I would have thought. But like yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. So it it incurred. It's like um, you know, it's slot machine sort of thing where you need to keep on pumping in mm-hmm. quarters as like your own tweets contributing to the entire mess and or else you're not going to get any pay <laughs> pay up mm-hmm. whatsoever mm-hmm. and yeah you seem like you've you've fallen out of of the system so that's all bad um so uh so something else I, I wanted to talk about in relation to this is okay so this idea I had and I'm sure other people have pointed this out that like the the th- twitter encourages um sort of marginal extremist like obscure points of view, ideas, um, habits, uh, cultural products, like it, it inflates these um, or political positions. It, 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 the, just the way it works, like those sort of things thrive on there, um, which is, you know, in some ways. OK, so let's bring this into Trump. So Trump was kicked off of Twitter, you know, a month or so ago. And 
Um, I, th- I thought that was good when it happened, and I think it's even better uh, <laughs> today in mid-February. And so I'm, I'm happy that he got kicked off. And if he hadn't been president, he would have been kicked off before. But like, you know, his personal strangeness and like the fact that he was an outsider of the political system, like that's the fact that he used Twitter to fuel his rise. Like that fits in with this thesis because he's a weird guy. He would tweet these weird things. You know, he has he had all these famous tweets about like his feud with Graydon Carter and, you know, how, how he was addicted to diet, uh, diet Coke and, and stuff, all mm-hmm. these got like deleted on mass, but his, um, you know, his like marginal identity, like Twitter transformed that into sort of a mainstream thing. And then he became president, which is stupid and insane. Um, so the, th- the thing that, um, made me think about this was there was a tweet, um, uh, that was basically about, um, uh, Andrew Yang, who was, who was running for, uh, New York city mayor and I guess in his platform, when he ran for the Democratic nomination, he was against BDS, which is the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions, um, you know, movement or program that is aiming that is against the Israeli occupation of Gaza and the West Bank. And maybe there's more more to it than that, but that's the simplified version. And so Yang, I guess, on his either on his original, I think it was on his original campaign website or something, he had a, an anti BDS statement, and then so. Uh, the cartoonist uh, Matt Lubchansky uh, tweeted like a screenshot of this and just the line, get fucked, dude. And so that went semi-viral, 200 retweets, 128,000 likes. And I just made me think like, you know, BDS is a marginal um, political movement that is trying to, you know, change things. But it's definitely, I would say if, if, you know, probably the vast majority of Americans have never heard of it. And if you explain to them in a neutral way what it was, they would probably be anti-BDS, I don't know, like 75-25 or something, because Americans like Israel for all sorts of complicated reasons, or, or not so complicated reasons. And so, but the fact that Lubchansky... Wait, we're going to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict <laughs> today, right? Just checking. Right. So so Lubchansky was like, you know, fuck, fuck this shit. And then there were 2,000 other people who were like, yeah, fuck this shit. But Andrew Yang, whether running for the Democratic nomination for the uh, entire nation or just running uh, for mayor in New York city, uh, like coming out in support of BDS would, would uh, be very, very surprising. So yeah. it's basically the standard political, maybe I guess I actually tweeted something at Luchansky, like how many, was there anyone pro BDS or how many, how many like within the 30 odd candidates you know, who ran for president in, in 2020. And he said, or sorry, they said no, but, um, but I guess Yang wanted to go like a step further in this I'll link to the tweet, but Hmm. it just made me think, you know, everything, any sort of strange, extreme, unusual perspective is overrepresented on Twitter. I don't know why exactly. It's something to do with the mechanics of small groups or something. Mm -hmm. Um, But you see all sorts of just weirdos and freaks in any, (laughs) like in any category. Um, You could take politics entirely out of it. The people who, who like, really, really care about one particular char- like minor character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and mm-hmm. think that particular character should have more exposure and they are fighting with people who support other characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, just all sorts of freaks are on this, <laughs> are on this website. And then it is strange to think that the President of the United States used this weird website um, and communications platform as his primary means of getting information out for four years. That's bizarre. It is. And so Trump is gone. And 
is it possible that Twitter can recede into being more of just a niche weirdo thing hmm. for people who want to fight with each other about which Marvel Cinematic Universe character should get the next movie and are very exercised about that. And we can kind of be like, oh, this this is stupid and this shouldn't matter. And yeah, so I, I sorry, this is, this is this is just rolling out of me. So what do you have any thoughts on this? Um, well, this is a whole bunch of different topics. Um, and I guess I have thoughts probably on all of them. <laughs> First is in terms of Trump. I mean, apart from like whatever I thought, I don't even know, like it, what I would notice is like, um, we were listening to Canadian public radio this morning and suddenly like there was some clip of Trump speaking and I was just like saying like, I'd almost forgotten about him. Like, I think there's something where because he's not on Twitter, the effect of this has been, you know, cause there's so much of, I never followed Trump on Twitter. I, I never either. went to, I didn't go to the pains to like block or mute, but whatever. But so much of like Twitter was just responding to him, quote, tweeting him, screenshotting him, all of this. But I feel like because he's not on Twitter now, that's just kind of like, it feels done in a way that it wouldn't if he still were. Um, right. And one of the other strange things that Trump pioneered is it used to be understood that a famous person or a politician would not write their own tweets, um, mm -hmm. especially the president. And there used to be this convention for when Obama was president that his tweets would be signed dash B.O., um, for the ones that he supposedly wrote himself, although he probably wasn't actually writing them mm -hmm. himself, but maybe he had to approve them or something. But whereas mm -hmm. like Trump, we knew that he, the majority of his things, he was actually typing himself, typing them out himself on his phone. And so that, that was very strange. Mm -hmm. And that made it seem like, you know, this thing that like was previously used by politicians and, and powerful people as like a way to put out little short press release sort of messages. Instead, it became the, like the, the glimpse into his id um, right. of, of this very unusual person who somehow became president. And, and that just became like that dynamic, which was so strange, made the entire thing seem much more important than, than like logic mm -hmm. would dictate that it should be. Mm -hmm, for sure. I mean, I think Trump's whole thing was being like the uncancelable, you know, he can just say anything and people like him, all, who, the people who like him, I should say, like him all the more for it and kind of live vicariously through that so that he could just say anything on Twitter would kind of fit in with that. Um, in terms of the extreme views, I have noticed this as well. Um, and I would say specifically um, where Israel is concerned, even though I follow plenty of people who are either Israeli or Zionist identified, I get the impression anecdotally from Twitter that basically 99% of the population thinks Israel is an apartheid evil state from not from um, 1967, from its origins, that it's terrible, should never have happened. It's the most evil thing in the world. That is my impression from Twitter, from what people think on Twitter. Right. So that's probably what people think on Twitter. It's not in, my impression. Of in American discourse, of, I don't know about Canadian yeah. discourse, that would be, you know, 2% or something of people who would, who would go along yeah, with it's a little more in Canada, but um, I also don't know how plugged in I am to Canada in that area specifically. I mean, I, I guess, although a few of the people I'm thinking of actually are Canadian, but um, you would have the impression that like to say something like, like if I referenced having been in Israel, you know, that I would be like that the world would be furious, you know, <laughs> not the world, but like specifically like the States, you know, and I don't think that's actually that doesn't quite add up to how people see things. Um, I think academia also, like we've talked about media, but academia is pretty well represented, I think, on Twitter. 
um, and sort of academia broadly defined. So like that could be somebody who's like going in and out of their grad program for 15 years. It doesn't matter, you know, like people with some sort of affiliation, you know, even just sort of a sense of affiliation with academia are also pretty present. So yeah, I think views that are like common there also maybe are more seen. So that's part of it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that is that like there's currency in making people super mad. Um, and, but there is a sense that people like that people are going to be mad, um, at things that, that they probably will on Twitter, but like wouldn't all, off Twitter and something like having a sort of neutral to positive view of Israel would be sort of thing that, yeah, that would seem like, yeah. Or, like, or yeah. Or telling a story about, um, how your daughter was hungry and there was a can of beans and oh, she didn't know how to use the can opener. Uh, so we won't get into the whole, I mean, you guys, uh, your podcast talked about bean dad discourse, but um, yeah, that is another thing where something that was essentially a joke that didn't land. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know what other form it could have, you know, like you could imagine sort of an Andy Rooney columnist <laughs> or something writing this out. And, um, and, yeah. and instead it became, you know, this huge thing. What, although I'm, I think, I wonder if, um, the fact that Trump is gone, Bean Dad happened after, did Bean Dad happen before or after Trump? I mean, start before or after they banned Trump? I think it was slightly before, right? Probably. I, I think, think it was just so. a couple days before, and then people were joking. It was all like, around the same time. Bean yeah. Dad was happy that suddenly the um, insurrectionists were <laughs> right, storming the right, Capitol. Right, right, right. I remember that. Okay, yes, that's right. That's right. So it would have been before. It would have been before. Okay, so this, I guess, messes with, this contradicts this thesis I was just developing, but now that Trump is gone, and the main thing that people were agitated about for four years is off the platform. Uh, one thing that could happen is the general level of agitation and fighting and stuff goes down somewhat because the instigator mm -hmm. is gone or it like disperses into various other corners of people going mm -hmm. after bean dad, anti bean dad, pro bean dad mm -hmm. in all, in all little corners. Um, I think in general, I've been saying this for a while that like Biden is going to return America to normalcy. And mm -hmm. probably a lot of people who are really energized, either pro or anti Trump, over the past couple mm -hmm. of years, like, you know, resistance moms and MAGA uncles together yeah, yeah. are going to sort of return, or at least try to return back to their normal lives mm -hmm. and back to their old hobbies and stuff. And, mm -hmm. um, and so the, the overall level of heat and, and so forth is, will go down somewhat. That, that'd be my prediction. That could be, that could be. I mean, so when I wrote my book, I wrote it during the Obama administration. Um, it appeared just at the start of the Trump administration. So there was, these culture wars were going, however, they were nothing. It was like niche. I had to explain like why I was writing about this niche thing. And I feel like it might return to that with Biden. It's possible. Or things are just kind of shifting. Like there's a lot of the sort of anti, you know, anti-political correctness strand of things seems to have a life of its own that seems maybe um, that could be energized by Biden, right? Because if Biden has, you know, like executive orders or just general rhetoric that suggests, um, you know, like that he's on one team, maybe there's pushback, but I don't know. I don't think it's, but there's no personality like that with Trump. You know, there's no sort of constant stream of completely absurd, whatever that all was. Um, yeah. Yeah. So probably will calm down and it'll just return to being niche, right? Yeah, because I, I think that's what it did. I, I like Trump so. got like what you're saying with like the resistance, um, and MAGA teams of things. Like I think what happened with Trump is there was suddenly like you had to care 
even if you were a normie, you had to care, you know? And like, I think it might now revert to like, if you're a normie, you can do something else. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's the dream, I think. Um, <laughs> the normies return to their lives. The, the dream is to be a normie, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're, at least I'm too far gone. But um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I will speak for you. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah a lot probably. of uh, Trump brought a lot of people into caring about politics on both his supporters and his opponents. And um, that, yes. Yeah, so he made it accessible, I think, is that he made it seem like, I used to think you have to understand about like policies and court cases and all of this. And I would try to be informed, but I feel like I wasn't ever really like enough of a wonk to really know what's going on. Like, I don't know, like the name of like a person in the House of Representatives from that county, like how, you know, and I've always felt like there were these other people who did. And Trump made it like, really basic, like you could be an idiot and follow this. And that was not only fine, but encouraged. And I feel like maybe if things move away from that, then that will just automatically alienate people from politics because you know it's less exciting yeah it's more like this yeah this dry thing right i mean part of the like um a a huge crazy thing about the trump years was that there was a sense that any given time he could do something or say something that would be totally off the wall and everyone had to intensely care about it and sometimes what he said actually did matter and sometimes it didn't matter and Mm -hmm. And then it would just go on, and 36 hours later, it would go on to the next crazy thing he said because he was a nonstop, you know, font of mm-hmm. of craziness. Uh, so that so that's gone, and he's been silenced um, more or less. Although, as I was joking um, in the you know period between when he was kicked off Twitter and ended his presidency, you know, if there was some way he could like release short statements to the press, then he could like get his point of view out there. So obviously, he like had a press secretary. Etc. and could have called up any news station yeah. and gotten on the air because he was the president. So it was just this bizarre situation. Um, but I mean, just one other note on this. Like, if you, um, you know, in 2014 or something, you could have said if, if a politician wanted to have the biggest pl- possible platform, they would go on Facebook because mm-hmm. Facebook is like just, you know, globally much like 5, 10, sure. 15, 20 times bigger than Twitter much, you know, normal people are much more likely to be on Facebook than the freaks and weirdos on Twitter. And um, you can write, you know, Trump, at the beginning of the Trump presidency, is still 140 characters. Like, you could write an mm-hmm. actual statement, or you could post a longer video or something. I guess he could, he this Twitter has a certain pr- privileges about hosting videos of certain lengths on Twitter. But, um, you know, that's, that's your mass audience, because everyone mm-hmm. and their mom and their grandma are on Facebook. Um, but like Trump showed that there was this way to sort of hijack this other mm-hmm. system and he was a demented master of it. And, um, I, and, and then one of the other weird things is like, I assume he uh, doesn't actually like never actually used a computer, doesn't know how to use a computer. So he would use Twitter on his phone, but I don't think he even had a Facebook app. So it would be his staff that was running any other social media account. Yeah. And they probably sanded down the edges and took some of the crazy all caps sort of stuff and wouldn't, Mm-hmm. propagate that on the on the other things but um yeah so i don't i mean you know trump is strange in so many ways but he, he does sort of seem like a one-off figure and you couldn't really imagine the system being hijacked again in this same way no, I, I, I don't know i don't think so no and yeah i mean i think it is, it's fewer people than facebook but it's much more sort of concentrated media right so like it wasn't necessarily a bad strategy for him. Uh, obviously, it worked at least once. I mean, <laughs> you know, like it, it, 
you know, he, he was addressing the people who were going to then write an article about it and did. Yeah. And, and one of the strange things is like, he, it's not like Trump would participate in memes or reply to people's, you know, posts or, or, or interact, interact in the way that an average right. user of Twitter would. It was that he is the president or he was running for president and then he became president and everyone, all the, you know, he would tweet something and then all the reporters were forced to cover it because he is the president. And when the president okay. says something or tweets something, it's important. Seem, or at least that's the theory. Um, and, but yeah, but it's not like he, uh, you know, was doing like hashtag games or, you know, was doing other right. things that, you know, Twitter encourages yeah. you to do. He just, um, it was like, he hacked the media basically yeah. through, through a back door. Yeah. Yeah. But so he's he a kind of demented a second term out of it. Right. Although, yeah, he lost, you know, in 2018, he uh, lost uh, very strongly. And then in 2020, lost even more strongly. Um, so he's gone. But I actually do want to bring this bring up something that I became obsessed with over the past year, uh, looking at my phone, which was the Trump reply guys and the MAGA QAnon supporting people, some of whom were basically seemed like more or less normal people. Maybe some of them were actually Russian bots. Um, but they seemed like they were actual people and they love Trump so much. And so any on any Trump reply, you know, the the algorithm decides which would be the first, uh, you know, first ones you see. And so there were these strange people, the Krasensteins, I don't know if you remember them, who um, were sort of like resistance type people. They were identical twins. And they oh. would they would always be like they're they, you know, within seconds of any Trump tweet, they would reply. So they're like, like, how dare you, sir? Like, don't you know that the like 12th Amendment, blah, blah, blah. And um, and so they had that they were kicked off a couple years ago because they were running some sort of scam of having multiple accounts or something. Um, and then so they were the main sort of like resistance and people call them the resistance grifters of these people who would always reply. were trying to monetize their opposition to Trump. And then there were some people who were always um, the positive reply guys to Trump. And there were these two accounts that I became somewhat obsessed with and would troll them. Uh, <laughs> and one of them blocked me, but one... There, <laughs> there's no hope for you. You're not going to be an <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, boy, I'm, I'm gone. Um, but I, this was, I, know, I had some strange fascination with these characters of the people who, you know, these were not... These people had no established platform, um, but they somehow amassed, you know, like 250,000 followers because they would reply to Trump like, like, yes, greatest president ever. Like, we support you 100%. And then, um, so for, so last year I started, um, screen capping the bios of a lot of these people, more like the average, um, MAGA or QAnon type person, because the way they wrote their Twitter bios was very interesting. And they would say things like, you know, it would say like, you know, grandma, grandma to eight, like first amendment, followed by Janine Pirro, retweeted by Donald Jr., you know, like hashtag or we go one, we go all. And it was just like this crazy sort of, mm -hmm. you know, not poetry exactly, but something strange about it that I found captivating for grotesque reasons. And so I, I was like, what could I do with all this stuff? Like, could this be like a, like some sort of uh, art exhibit or something like uh, of each one, like framed or something. And mm -hmm. so I was just screen capping them. And then after they kicked Trump off, they also kicked off all the QAnon accounts seemingly and tens of thousands of others. And so I realized that now I suddenly have a sort of, um, archive of a vanished civilization, and yeah. I started going back and checking some of these accounts, and a lot of them are gone. They, there was, it says account suspended. <laughs> some of the, and then a lot of other ones have lost about thirty to forty percent of their followers. So a huge, you know, huge portion of MAGA world, QAnon world, has been vaporized from Twitter, mm -hmm. 
And I've noticed now, just in the past couple of weeks, that when you look at a, like when Don Jr. tweets something, all the replies, virtually like 95 to 98% of the replies are people dunking on him, saying you're stupid, saying you're going to end up in jail. Like all of mm-hmm. those supporters on Twitter seem to have vanished. So maybe, mm-hmm. so some of these people were kicked off the the platforms. Some of them, maybe after it became clear that Trump was not going to be president for a second term, they went back to their normal lives. Or maybe mm-hmm. some of them became disgusted after the, you know, a riot at the Capitol. It's so there's a lot possible. of possible Well, I wonder if it's that they, what weakened those accounts was that so many people were kicked off. So the ones who remained lost followers because those people were kicked off, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, the, yeah. So a lot of them seem to be gone. I haven't done, I need to really like, uh, look at this closely. I only I only looked about a, ten of them, but a number of them the account is gone. But then the follower accounts are way down. And one of the funny things about these I don't know if you've ever seen these type of people, the MAGA people, they'd always have almost the, they always followed each other, and so they mm-hmm. always had like seventy three thousand point seven followers, and they followed seventy three point seven thousand people. <laughs> this is very different than liberal or or socialist world where like the yeah. top accounts have fifty thousand followers and they follow one hundred twenty eight people. Uh, yeah. So it's a weird like the the right side of the aisle is I much- feel very much in a bubble because i i va- very vaguely know what this is and the only reason i know is because i wrote an anti-gun article once for the new republic and right got these people in my replies for like weeks and i got to see a lot of the bios and all the things and i got a sense so like those that type of bio this wouldn't have been like QAnon, i guess that was, that, yeah that was but, pre-trump and pre-QAnon. but um, but yeah they're i'm familiar with like a sort of like it would be like First Amendment, Second Amendment, Israel. It would always be like Israel, and it was like these were not Jewish people. Like this was just, except when it, what, that one of the people who was once mad at me, not about that, about something else, was Roseanne. Oh, but really? You got into it with, with Roseanne? I Barr? got into it. Well, into it. I mean, not, not as. I got an angry tweet about some headline that I'd gotten for an article from Roseanne. Um, because yeah, the anti Nigella Lawson moment. Okay, so I'll just read. So yeah, I have all these saved in my phone. And I so here's one. And there was something about the, the you know, the image they would use. There's all there's almost always something grotesque about either their background image, their name, their avatar, or their bio. And so this is just a random one I picked. It's a photo of a, of a woman. Um, Dawn, I stand with President Trump, exclamation point, three stars. The three stars thing is people, supporters of General Flynn because he was a three star general. Um, and, oh, this is very specific. Yes. And uh, Don underscore Demore one, and then her her bio is Donald Trump, but in italics. You know those like that alternate font that italicizes yeah. everything that people use on Twitter. Uh, hashtag best pres- best president ever. Hashtag Flynn fighters. American flag emoji. Hashtag Ben Garrison cartoons, and then a URL, and then at grrr graphics, which is this guy Ben Garrison, the the account, and he was sort of like the most prominent MAGA editorial cartoonist. He got kicked off. A couple of days after Trump did, sadly, he also he was. I'm you know a lot of people are obsessed with him because he was so his drawings are so strange and he always had Trump as this like super fit guy, uh, <laughs> like this buff buff dude, and then uh, ending with a rose emoji, which is usually understood to be the DSA symbol, but probably this woman doesn't know that and just likes flowers. Um, so yeah, so so <gasps> and she had she followed twenty thousand point one and had fifty three point nine thousand followers. Um, and so I'll I'll check afterwards if she still exists. But I bet that she got kicked off for being QAnon. That or something. seems like a, an exciting corner of Twitter that I'm glad not to know about. Yeah, I wonder if um, you didn't see it because I would often find these people from trending topics. And oh, yeah, I guess I don't look so much at that. Yeah, and I know those differ based on country. 
So you probably get yeah. the Canadian trendy yeah, topics. Yeah, I, I don't think I look at them except at what they are sometimes because it'll often be like Jews and I'll be like, oh, that's, no, all, that again. that's always bad news. <laughs> yeah, anything creepy. Jew or Jewish that like this yeah. is not good, uh, not yeah. good for the Jews. Okay, so yeah, that's just my weird obsession. If anyone has an idea for what I can do with all this, uh, all these screen caption information, I will think about this because I I want you to do something with it. <laughs> okay, so we're, we've got a little bit over now, but maybe this will be the last section, a uh, last question, which is I've done a couple other episodes with people about social media over the past year or so, and I've asked them at the end, you know, if you could um, snap your fingers uh, in the way Thanos does in the Avengers movie. And social media, you know, magically disappeared and couldn't come back. All the rest of the internet continues to exist, but the social media part is gone forever. Would you do that to, like, save humanity from from social media? Okay, so I thought about this um, since you posed the question before we started. And I'm going to say that I would not get rid of it precisely because we have been locked down for a year. And I think to be truly, truly locked down, unable to talk to anybody not in your home, um, for a year would be a little bit, um, maddening and that it has been useful to be able to be on social media like this year specifically, just to be a little bit out in the world virtually. Um, so I think otherwise, yeah, I go through the same like pluses and minuses, like interesting people I've met on Twitter who I wouldn't have met otherwise, um, opportunities that have come through it. You know, I don't know that I've had ever opportunities or met people on Facebook, but, um, but things like that um but then i think like if you really if you can't go out i don't know like you kind of have to have a little bit of something else right that's that's what kind of tips the scale for me i think would be like the lockdown and and also yeah like i live in canada now like you know to feel a little connected to the states but on the whole for humanity yeah i think because we've all been locked down i think it's been i'm gonna say it's i'm gonna be yay, let's all spend 24-7 on Twitter. And if you don't have a strong feeling about every single hire the New York Times has ever made, <laughs> you're canceled. <laughs> um, okay, but okay, what if, you know, we, we, we say Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the other ones, they're gone, but sort of the internet as existed in 2003, like, would you want to return to that? So that was like the beginning of the blog era. You were, were slash are a blogger. Um, and like right. that, the blogs had their own pluses and minuses, but yeah. like, social media helped k- kill off the blogosphere that emerged. Oh, I don't know. See, I'm not. I'm I'm weird in this that I'm not nostalgic for the blog era. I think there I sunk a lot of time. Like I look back at my old blog posts; those could have been articles, a lot of them, and I wasted time. I threw stuff away. I didn't have the confidence to. Like I, I first wrote something for the Atlantic in like 2013. I first blogged in like 2004. I don't think I required like nine years of honing to like get there. <laughs> uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, I think it was just a confidence thing. And I think for a lot of people, probably this was the case too, that like, unless you were hired by some blog, um, it, it just was like a time suck. Yeah. So I'm and, not, and you, but you, you, okay. So that's interesting. See, I, um, you know, I, never really had my own blog. I just wrote a couple posts over the years and was too inconsistent and lazy to ever do it. But I have tweeted almost a hundred thousand times and what, what was a bigger you know, time suck <laughs> for me personally. And then Fair enough. like the, you know, the tweet that maybe I tweeted in 2014 that maybe, you know, uh, could be taken out of context if someone wanted to go after me for whatever reason. And then blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm, Oh, so what I will say, what I will say about this is because I had all that experience online, um, 
prior to social media, I think obviously, you know, knock on wood and all of this, like who knows what I'll say that, you know, could be twisted in any mirror of any of us, whatever. But I think I did have that, if nothing else, the sense of what that means to be speaking online to audiences that might not have any, that might not have your best interest at heart. Um, Like people got more mad at me like once through like stuff to do with my blog. And it was like a sort of willful misreading sort of situation um, where people mistakenly believed that I, this is, if I tell you, I mean, I'm going to say what this is because otherwise it's going to sound like it would have been something worse. People mistakenly believed that I have and insist upon people having only designer clothes. And this was ridiculous. I was in grad school at the time. Um, and I'll tell you why this came up because I had blogged something about like, there was some sort of discussion about the Obama daughters at the inauguration. This was last week. <laughs> I guess it would have been 2009 or whatever. 13. It What's wasn't it? 13. So that was 2009. <laughs> yeah. And I had said something like that. I thought like that it was stupid that they were being called out for having more an exp- not the girls themselves, but whatever their family um, for being in J crew. And that if anything, an occasion like that, they could have been in something fancier. And I was not saying, and they should have been like, I, I wasn't. And then this became what you didn't think they looked nice. It's like, I didn't think they looked nice. That was not what I, but anyway, it became <laughs> that like, I personally had like all this designer. And I was like, I have the grad school stipend. I have garbage clothing. What are you <laughs> but, um, Wait, so was, was the was the blow up your comment, the commenters, or like other blogs oh, were picking so this up? So then it got picked up by another blog, um, and I think it was in the comments, but it was somebody from that blog who I knew in real life to be a good friend of an ex-boyfriend. Like, so this, there was an IRL level of things going on here, and people just got super mad, and then some other blog picked it up, um, and people just hated me. <laughs> hated me over something very very quaint in retrospect because there was no sense like nobody was accusing me of anything like problematic it was just that I was this like woman with the designer wardrobe who who was snooty about clothes in some way and I was like and it just had nothing but it just seemed so completely unhinged from anything in my actual life uh-huh. um and but they gave me a sense of what what's out there and both like to just sort of not care if people are mad in a way, but also to anticipate the types of responses. Yeah. So I think I was trained in that early from blogging. Um, and the other time I got somebody mad was that I tweeted that, or I tweeted, oh, Freudian slip there, right? <laughs> I blogged. This was like in well, Twitter is a micro blogging service. Right, you right, know. right. But this was like in 2005 or six, given where I was living. Um, something about some coffee shop striking me as overpriced that I'd been to and like the owner of that coffee shop commented on my blog like angrily like they're not actually overpriced (laughs) just like okay and I just couldn't believe that this person had found little old me and I wasn't thinking about that they googled their you know so I just have a better sense I think of how this all works from that time yeah and part of the bean dad thing and for people who don't know what bean dad is you are a blessed person and continue on in your ignorance but if you do know what bean dad is part of the thing was that people dug up, like, people started searching, like, Jew and Bean Dad to find his old tweets, and then he, I guess he once had, like, a comedic persona on Twitter where he was, like, making fun of different, you know, races and ethnicities and so forth, and so that was part of the cancellation of Bean Dad, was, yes. was digging up the old tweets, and yeah, there's... And he only had designer clothing, I hear. 
<laughs> very, very nice clothes. Right. And he makes his, and you know, his daughter goes naked and he gives her a sewing machine and some fabric and um, says, figure it out <laughs> yourself and you'll learn a valuable lesson. Um, so, okay, maybe that's a good place to, to end it. We probably, anyone who isn't on Twitter was like, still listen to this <laughs> somehow I, I you know they've hopefully been warned off actually in, in the past couple of years anytime someone asked me like should i get on the twitter um especially during the trump years people like felt like they needed to get on there to know what's happening i'm always like no if you've resisted this long like do not like I, stay will say, I know people i know people who have accounts and like don't really do anything with them it's not like to be on twitter you get sucked in it's just you never know what <laughs> could happen to you. Well, you know, you get that first taste of virality where you get like three yeah. retweet, three retweets and eight likes. And then, you know, that first hit, you're like chasing that magical high the rest of your life. Exactly. Um, and you are, you know, like stooped over, uh, <laughs> look at your phone 24 hours a day. Okay. So, yeah. So I, I think I've said this before, but I think I would, if I could snap my fingers and make it all disappear, I think I probably would just based on the, you know, the fact that, like, if we could retroactively do it and then it wouldn't have let Trump become president, then that's a that's good enough true. reason. Okay, that's fair point. But fair even point. today, I, I, I think it still has more negative um, parts to it than, than the positive parts. Although, like I said, there are some positive parts. Um, and I guess that's what keeps us <laughs> coming back for more. And, you know, we've been talking for over an hour, so I'm sure there's, like, 50 new memes that have popped up and we, new things that people are arguing about. We have been ignoring twitter in this time yeah and people are probably and like where things. are phoebe and Arge? like we need them to weigh in on like all those i think so i think topics. we better get back <laughs> get back to that work <laughs> oh yes the work thanks for having me on to discuss this this is fun. well thanks for doing it um i i, I appreciate you taking the time um blogging heads alumnus female's movie now senior editor at the signal um and the links to those to the signal and your the piece that of yours that we discussed will be below on the blog as a site so um you know, you can follow us on Twitter and you, you are, what, is, what, say your handle, because I think I'll get it right. Tweetertation. Tweetertation. Because you were originally tweeting your dissertation, right? I joked that I would tweet my dissertation. I never actually, I don't think subjected anybody to that. Right. And so you're actually, you're a class of Twitter person that I really respect because you, when, you know, in 2008 or nine or whatever, you came up with like a goofy uh, name and you've, you've kept with it even as you've ascended I don't I just I'm not like I don't know I, I probably there is some way to change that I know that people have oh, done um I didn't even know I did not know that was possible but that's fine I'm tweetertation that's fine that's how it is yeah so the, so I like I that's sort of like game respect game uh sort of thing in the in the tutorial that you stuck with that so you're tweetertation I'm R-E-A-C-W. um you can follow us if you want to see what we you know think about all our occasional occasional appearances there right and you i know what you can also do is you can uh, smash that like button if you're watching this on youtube you can rate and review in itunes which does help the show um in various ways and and so and feminine chaos continues and if if there's anyone who lost the thread of feminine chaos you can search for it wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to it that way and um and also subscribe to it on patreon uh which gets you like bonus episodes and newsletters and things like that that's right. Things like that. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you, Phoebe. And thank you to all of our viewers and listeners who somehow sat through all this nonsense. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you again next time. Bye.